0: I think you have to keep good stats on the the cases you solve, and you know the the supervisor of that unit needs to be the cheerleader for that unit. You know, you need to come in there and, and constantly sing your praises about look at the success stories you've had. You know, I, I have that saying: persistence beats resistance. That constant, you know, persistent going in there, and, and you, people don't like to toot their own horn or you know, go in there and brag, but that's kind of the supervisor's job to be the cheerleader. of That unit shows success stories
1: there. My name's Ashley Church.
2: And I'm Erin West.
1: We were once newly promoted crime scene and latent print supervisors on mutual struggle buses as we both simultaneously tried to navigate through the challenges within our forensic units. Now we run a business
2: where we create tools and resources that we wish we had had to make these transitions easier. We like to talk about the experiences we've had in the forensic field, the good, the bad, and the ugly, in the hopes to create awareness around these issues and move the needle
1: forward to create positive change in the forensic community. So if you're a forensic professional, regardless of your years of experience, who's not afraid to dive into real, raw, and sometimes uncomfortable topics, you're in the right place.
2: This is the Forensics Unfiltered Podcast.
1: This is the second bonus episode featuring another guest interview from our virtual summit. Last September, we hosted a free four day event titled Forensic Supervisor Success Summit designed to help you thrive in a forensic supervisory position by setting goals, optimizing resources and skills, and getting organized. 768 registrants from 38 states and 14 countries were able to learn from 28 speakers and listen to 32 presentations. It was so wildly successful that we plan on hosting another one this year. But while we're preparing for the big event, we want to give you something to listen to while you wait. So every month this summer, we'll be featuring a presentation from the 2022 Forensic Supervisor Success Summit. On this bonus episode, we will be featuring a guest interview with Ryan Barry titled, Having Conversations with Your Chain of Command. Ryan is a captain at the Osceola County Sheriff's Office and formerly part of Aaron's Chain of Command. And if you love this episode, we know you will love the other presentations too. The presentations featured on Forensics Unfiltered make up only 15% of the entire summit. You can get instant access to replays for all 32 presentations in the all-access pass on gapscience.teachable.com. We'll be sure to include all the links in the show notes, but again, you can go to gapscience.teachable.com and click on the all-access pass. Sit back, relax, and enjoy.
2: Hi guys, I'm Erin West with GAP Science, and today I have Captain Ryan Berry with the Osceola County Sheriff's Office here with us today. We're very excited to have a conversation uh, with you guys about having better communication skills with your chain of command. So before we even dive into that topic, Captain Berry, if you'll tell us a little bit about your background and uh, where you are now in your career and the path you've taken to get here.
0: All right, uh, my name is uh, Ryan Berry, as Aaron said, and I'm a captain with Osceola County Sheriff's Office. I started my career in 1989, July 1989. And I know there's people in the room that are like, oh my God, I was a year old or I wasn't born yet, but so <laughs> get that out of the way. So I started my career in corrections. I did about two years in corrections and I went to patrol division. After that, I spent some time in patrol division training, you know, doing FTO stuff, field training officer stuff, some felony squads, criminal investigations, DUI investigations and instruction, and then I discovered undercover drug work. So I did that for probably about four years, and after I was promoted, again, I supervised the narcotics task force for about 10 years after that when i was promoted to sergeant after that i also uh or actually prior to the drug unit i did some supervision in the fto squad and tourism policing unit so that was like a investigative unit as well in our tourism area and then i was promoted to lieutenant and did some time as watch commander on the road after that i went to our intel and crime analysis section and I was pr- I did about six years there, and I was promoted uh, out of there as a captain in the criminal investigation section.
2: Yeah, and that's where you currently are, right? That's
0: where I currently <laughs> am, yes, ma'am, yeah.
2: So, and he has been a captain over both the road and criminal investigations, and that was how we met, obviously. Uh, the captain is my direct supervisor. And I believe if I'm correct, that when you became the CID captain, was that the first time that the forensic divisions fell under your purview?
0: Yes. So one of the things we did when I took over Crow investigations, we looked at trying to pull some of those units back under CID. So I have all the property crimes, robbery, tourism policing unit, intel, Violent crimes, special victims unit, persons unit. So the special victims covers like our sex crimes, child crimes, um, and, and intel and crime analysis. And we pulled forensics under that umbrella because we work so closely, obviously, with forensics, latents, um, and now evidence. But mainly, you know, there's so many of those investigative units that rely heavily on forensics and latents to make solid cases. So it just made sense to pull everybody under the same umbrella. Um, and I think we communicate a lot better because of that as as a group, you know, when it comes to the cases.
2: I would agree. We're, we're thrilled to be part of the criminal investigations division. (laughs) Yes, I think there's a, a lot of departments out there that are still housing forensics under like the records division. Some of you guys watching that this now, that might be the case, but I do think it improves the communication between the investigative units to have it all be under one umbrella for sure. So yes. So we have our forensic latent print and evidence unit are all civilian and all female, and we're very expensive. We're expensive units, so. Yes, that you are. (laughs) Yes, so when we fell under your purview and you first started supervising the forensic units, was there anything that you were surprised to learn about the forensic units right out the gate?
0: Yeah, you know, one of the things that I was, surprised to learn about forensics was how, I mean, one of them was the cost, obviously, right? It was, you know, you look at the cost of some of the things you guys have and it was, it was you know, there's sticker shock for sure. I, I kind of understood some of that because when I was in the drug unit, I had our lab unit as well, our clan lab unit. So as part of that, I learned a lot about that kind of stuff and I understood why some of that stuff was so expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that I was kind of surprised about and I learned was how labor intensive some of the stuff that forensics does is. I mean, I obviously had been around it most of my career, but really when I started looking at how you guys do your processes when it comes to, you know, whether it's looking for blood spatter or DNA work or or latent, you know, processing latents, it's just I was like pretty surprised how labor intensive, you know, some of it was. So that was that was interesting to me. And I was kind of surprised to learn you know like i said i understood about certifying equipment but i was surprised to learn that even you know your your rulers had to be certified i i was kind of floored by that. i was like how can you change your ruler it doesn't yeah. wear out or where you know you're not sawing wood with it. So I'm not sure what exactly, but yeah. it, it was definitely learning curve a little bit there.
2: There's a lot of ex- expense attached to that too. Like even our, you know, calibrating our Faro instruments once a year, right. I mean, that costs like $8,000. And I think, I think there's a lot of departments that probably don't get those calibrations done because they don't really understand the value of spending that kind of money to make sure the instruments are working properly every year. But yes, right. I would definitely agree with that. So I think a lot of supervisors do have that challenge of trying to get the equipment and the supplies that they need for the forensic unit, knowing that those things are expensive, sending that stuff up the chain and having it be declined because there are other areas of the agency where funding is seen as more necessary. So do you have any suggestions for the forensic supervisors out there for getting those kinds of budgetary requests through their chain of command, helping them understand the need for those types of items for their unit?
0: Yeah, I, I think for me, I think, and you know, this goes to your credit a lot, is just educating the super, whoever's the supervisor to, under, to make them understand why it's important. You know, we you can you pull out all these gadgets at a crime scene, and a lot of the sworn guys are just looking at them. And they, you know, unless they have a direct attachment to that case, you know, the detective that's working a homicide or you know robbery guy, they they may or may not understand, but they usually do. But I think it's really you know the further you get away from that guy or girl who's working a scene or working the the case, sometimes the further removed we get, you know, and we're thinking about other things. But I really think for me it was important to understand why things were the way they were and how important they were. I think it's just really trying to take time to educate, you know, and that's going to be incumbent on on the civilian supervisor who's over that unit to try to continually educate the supervision above them. If if it's sworn and they don't understand it, why it's so important, you know, all the way from the scene to court, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's just important to educate as much as you can.
2: Yeah. And I think one of the, things that I try to do, or I've learned over the years is the value of attaching the need to the agency's need and not Correct. necessarily just my unit's need. So the value for the agency as a whole. Um, do you think if that's an easier sell for you to the higher ups above you, if you can attach the need to the agency versus just the unit's need?
0: Absolutely. And I, and I know there's going to be some departments, especially depending on the size that the budgetary constraints are just going to be what they are you know it's it's hard to overcome yeah. some of that stuff but when they see the benefit to the agency to the case to the victim you know and and why we do what we do i think that's the sell you know for for these these guys that don't understand it quite yet
2: for sure i would agree so what kind of recommendations do you have for either civilian or sworn Uh, supervisors that have just inherited a forensic unit there any suggestions you have for them for getting in there and learning about their forensic unit
0: yeah take the time to go learn take the go down there and look and see what they're doing you know show up when they're doing crime scene stuff show up when they're when they're processing cars and just and just sit back and watch you know I, I learned a lot um and those processes when we when we set up our um, brass tracks and you know we set up our I, I learned a lot about we set up our conics you know so we could shoot with the snail trap and and all that mm-hmm. stuff and I learned more and more and more and it was just really taking the time you know carving out a couple hours of the day and go down there and and see what's going on and and ask questions and and learn about it I think that's very important um, yeah for you to to do that yeah somebody taking over that's new.
2: I think we, you had mentioned this the other day with our intel unit, how having solid knowledge about how the intel unit could be utilized has helped investigations. And I think I think that's the same with forensic units is that the higher up you go, the more oversight you have on all of the units and how they're all interconnected and how you can use all the pieces to assist in an investigation. So. I think that forensic units in some departments might be underutilized um, because the agency doesn't really understand how they could maybe assist in an investigation. Have you seen that to be true? (laughs) In your experience? Um,
0: One of the things that I think that we did that was successful since I was over there working with you was have um, a a bit of a, a training session, I guess you would call it, where you came in and explained exactly what your capabilities are, not only in forensics, but in latents. Um, you yeah. know, latents in the past coming up through law enforcement, latents was very hit and miss sometimes about, you know, what kind of results we we got, right? So you see guys that don't see the importance sometimes of, of latent prints. And I know that since I've been working with you and you've had our latent section, and we have a very talented group of, of ladies in latents as well, you know, our latent print hits have just skyrocketed. I don't know what the stats are, but I can tell you we get hit, latent print hits constantly. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of the detectives didn't understand exactly what the capabilities of the latent print unit was and the forensic unit was. And having that sit down with all the detectives and take an hour so you can explain the capabilities was great. One of the cases I know that stands out to me that I didn't know, I didn't know the capabilities of the latent unit was we had a convicted felon suspect on Facebook who kept posting pictures of guns, but would never post his face in them. One of the challenges was proven it was a firearm, which we were able to overcome through an expert, a firearms expert. But then the other one was obviously his face wasn't in the picture. Well, one of the pictures was nice, high res, and we could see a picture of his fingerprint. And I don't remember if it was you or somebody in Leighton said, hey, we can pull that from the picture. And we successfully were able to prove it was him in the picture. Yeah. and that was a complete surprise to me i didn't realize that was even a possibility yeah. so that's been a, a learning curve and i think you have to constantly have that conversation with detectives because you have new detectives that come in right you so you know they're you know like a, for us we have several new detectives right now training and we probably need to sit down soon again and just have a little round table and say hey this is the capabilities use us and this is what you yeah. can use us for that's important i think on a regular basis
2: Yep. And I think going back to funding (laughs) and asking for expensive things, I think that if your department is providing results for the investigations and the detectives, you would be more likely to be supported for the funding needs that you have. Would you say that's accurate?
0: Yes, I would. (laughs) Yes. Yes, 100%
2: and sometimes that just takes a time investment you know to get your forensic units up to the point where they are truly contributing and detectives really feel like there's value for you to you know be able to get the supplies that you need so yes
0: that's a lot to bite off you know when we i mean just in the last year and a half we've invested a lot of money i think into latents and forensics both you know bringing the the niben in there bringing our own APHIS system in you know things like that. But it's definitely an investment into, I mean, let's face it, the, the way technology grows is, is you know, it's constantly evolving, right? And forensics and latents have evolved with the rest of the stuff along with digital forensics. I yeah. mean, if you're not investing in that in the future, you're, you're gonna be behind the eight ball for sure in law enforcement.
2: Absolutely. So another thing that comes up in our trainings a lot is our forensic training programs, the length of them and uh, a lot of departments wanting to push people through the training programs quicker so there's a body out there on call and we're filling those holes and getting the casework done in a in a quicker manner uh we ourselves have lengthy training programs but i've never really received any pushback from anyone above about the length of our training programs or you know the quality of the the trainees that are coming out of those so how can uh, forensic supervisors justify the need for a longer training program, you know, to make sure that they have all the skills versus, you know, when their chain of command is trying to push, get them to push people out faster?
0: Yeah, that's a tough one sometimes. I think you have to, I think if you sing your praises, I think you have to keep good stats on the, the cases you solve. And, you know, the, the supervisor of that unit needs to be the cheerleader for that unit. You know, you need to come in there and and constantly sing your praises about look at the success stories you've had. You know, I, I have that saying: persistence beats resistance. That constant, you know, persistent going in there, and and you, people don't like to toot their own horn or even go in there and brag. But that's kind of the supervisor's job to be the cheerleader of that unit shows success stories. If they see the importance of that, I think they'll see the importance of the training. I also hope that the agencies would follow. I mean, the training should be in policy, right? And I think if it's outlined in policy and, and it's it's there in black and white and it's step, this is what has to be done all the way through the process, you would have a harder time, or more, I guess have a, a harder time of somebody arguing with you saying, hey, you need to cut this short because it's in black and white, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think that, I don't know, those are the two things I would suggest that you do to do that. Um, so I know sometimes you're faced with a lot of adversity when it comes to, to that and people don't understand. But again, if you educate, and senior praises, I don't know how they argue with that, you know, yeah. with the success stories.
2: I agree with that. And I, I think that we stopped having difficulty with it when we made a concrete training manual that was written down. I know a lot of uh, yes. agencies don't have that and they're just kind of flying by the seat of their pants regarding how they actually train people. But once we had a concrete structure of like, this is what we train, this is the length of each module. It was pretty, you know, cut and dry as far as what the training program was going to contain. And then also, I think it was easy for you guys to say, how much longer is the training program? And we could very matter of factly be like, they have four modules left, they have four weeks left, or whatever, as opposed to some departments where it's just arbitrary. (laughs) Like, we're not certain when they're ending. So for our civilian supervisors out there, which we have a lot of them, and they're reporting to a sworn chain of command, but that sworn chain of command doesn't particularly seem to be interested in learning about forensics, or um, like we've talked about before, some sworn supervisors see see it almost as a punishment to be placed over civilians versus uh, supervising sworn personnel. So do you have any recommendations for civilian supervisors on engaging their sworn chain of command to, you know, to get them interested in the units and what they're doing and the value of the units?
0: That's probably the toughest one of this whole, the toughest question this whole session. Um, (laughs) I can tell you that again, persistence beats resistance in my career. You know, it's, I would imagine if you're facing somebody who doesn't get the value of that and who's pushing back on you or doesn't really, you know, see what you're trying to do or is not happy because they're, you know, supervising. And even in sworn, you know, law enforcement's kind of, we're real bad sometimes by eating our own. And we really need to become better about that as a, you know, as a culture. But I think what you have to do is just continually sing your praises, you know, continually show your successes. Because you know if you if you build good teams and and they see the value in building good teams, it just makes your job so much easier as a manager, then it it's kind of it solves the own its own argument, right? because if if other than having to put money into a unit like forensics to get them up to speed, if they're having success stories, it just makes you look good. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think that they just have to try to keep singing their own praises, try to be our cheerleader the egos can be tough. That's a, that's a hard one sometimes to overcome. That's very tough. And if all else
2: fails, you can, you can just be patient because (laughs) sometimes
0: it requires patience, you know, sometimes it's timing. Sometimes you just don't know, you know, I, I mean, I, I get that. I've, I've dealt with different dynamics in my career, different administrations, you know, dealing with other departments, you know, other, department heads that are over the same thing that maybe I'm over and I call and we're trying to work out issues. And sometimes I just, oh, I just don't get it. You know, it's, we just don't, we're not the same wavelength, I guess, sometimes. But I, I really think that it's like I tell everybody, just keep, you know, plugging away at it. I've had success at that in my career. I've been told, you know, in the drug unit, I tried to start certain processes. And I'll give an example. We, st- we started, well, I wanted to do a single purpose drug dog when I was in the task force. And for three years in a row, about every, Six months, I would, and I answered to a board of directors. I presented it to a board of directors, and I did all the research. Um, Aaron knows I'm a very uh, high C on the DISC profile, so I did all my research. Very detail and I did, oriented, yeah. Uh, yeah, very <laughs> detail oriented, and I kept for three years. They told me no; they turned me down for three years. About the fourth, fifth time, I presented it over that three-year period. At the end, they they let me do it, and it has been just a huge success. Not, you know, not to my anything I did other than want to start it, you know, the, the handlers worked really hard and it's just a, it's very, very lucrative, you know, yeah. the way, the way we do it. And, uh, so just keep I plugging think, away at them.
2: Yeah. I think we see that a lot with people just giving up too soon. When you do have needs for your unit, you have to play the long game yes. and basically cycle those things around. If you bring an idea or something that you really need to the forefront and you're told, no, Maybe it was the wrong time. Maybe there wasn't money. Maybe yeah. you asked the wrong person. And we hear a lot of people that are just like, oh, they said, no, they'll never get it for me. And they never asked for it again. So you have yeah. to be willing to keep coming back to that item. if It really is a need for sure.
0: hundred percent as a, as a supervisor or a manager, you should identify those things and keep if, like you said, if you're told no. Put them back on the list somewhere and come back at them again, because. You know what you need for that unit more than I do, and and you should come and argue for it
2: 100%. Oh, yes. I'm sure you've realized this at this point, but I always keep my ears open for opportunities. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know you do. I keep a running list at all times. That's good.
2: So. <laughs> like, if there's an opportunity and there's extra money that has to be spent, I have something that we need to buy.
0: <laughs> no, that's good.
2: A last question here. so we have a lot of in in the training classes a lot of the civilian sworn dichotomy comes up do you have any suggestions for our civilian supervisors out there for just earning being able to earn the respect of their sworn counterparts more quickly
0: that's a tough one too i think it just depends on personalities egos you know i can tell you after a little over 33 years of being a cop i still don't get along with most cops sometimes you know just the way um and I think some of it has to do with maturity when it comes to you know a younger guy maybe doesn't see the value in that there's I think there's some law enforcement culture there, but I think I don't know that you know the biggest thing is i I feel like is is when they see your value when they see you'll you'll earn a lot of respect just in that aspect when you when the, these guys have cases and you know they're getting DNA hits off of the smallest thing or a print off the smallest you know I'm just thinking in my head of things that I've seen. I think we had a commercial robbery in the last year where a guy picked up a, a cold drink, walked over, set it down, did the robbery, and we were able to get a print off the cold drink. You know what I'm saying? Just mm-hmm. things that in that which solve that case. And I think that when they realize the value of that, I think that's automatically gonna make them gain respect. But I also think that sometimes, unfortunately, sworn guys, you know, supervision or whoever, think that they're better than a civilian. And I don't know why, I think that everybody should be should have a seat at that table i think if you know like for us as you know we have our our weekly meetings with all the managers and you know you're you're there with the sworn lieutenants and you have a voice and you have a seat at the table and as you should because what you bring to the table is is the value of you know knowing what can be done to help those cases out and sometimes that that 100 makes or breaks a case especially yeah. when it comes to people you know vulnerable victims whether it be Special Victims Unit, you know, sex crimes um, or somebody who's dead and can't speak for themselves. Right. And when you look at it from an agency standpoint to better the agency, you know, juries expect it. If you go to trial, juries expect to see science. Um, You know, it's all over television. Right. They expect that they think you can pull rabbits out of the hat all the time, but I don't. It's just that's just a tough. Like I said, just keep plugging away, keep showing them your value because you're automatically gonna earn respect just by showing them what you can do. Yeah. Um, so put the work in to do it. And, you know, it's unfortunate if the respect isn't there automatically because it should be, but I just yeah. say keep plugging away at, <laughs> yeah. I think it does.
2: Yeah, it does take a little bit more to, to earn the same respect as a civilian because the sworn, the sworn are clearly marked, you know, you know what everybody's rank is and, and that rank is respected automatically in the civilians. You know, I don't look any different than any of my civilians. There's plenty of people at the department who have no idea who I am, but, um, but even the, the people that are at my own level. I think sometimes civilian supervisors come in a little too aggressive with right. like, you know, I'm I'm also at a sergeant level or I'm also at a lieutenant level and kind of put that foot down and rub people the wrong way. So I think it's really important to build those bridges and, you know, work on those relationships and it will really help. But yeah, the civilian the civilian sworn is is certainly a challenge.
0: It definitely is.
2: So before we head out for the day, do you have any other thoughts or anything for our supervisors out there or anyone who just inherited a forensic unit uh, before we leave this session?
0: No, I don't think so. I think other than just, you know, really understand what you guys do is important. Please sing your praises, you know, your people when you're when you're out there, because they do a lot of hard work. They do a lot of work that nobody else wants to do. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when you see, you know, and I've seen it multiple times in my career, us digging through, you know, decomposing body parts or, yeah, yeah, just, I mean, just (laughs) horrific conditions, you know, And, and these girls and guys will get out there and do that. And it's important to do it, right? So just support them, you know, if your departments don't have some kind of crisis unit or some kind of unit like that to help, you know, we've started trying to plug in, as you know, our staff counselor into more debriefs. When it comes to that, thing, I've been at several myself, critical incident debriefs with some of your folks from forensics. And, and you know, you don't see a lot of the forensics girls, at least our forensic girls, they, they come off as, as hard and callous as a lot of law enforcement does. And, you know, you'll talk about crazy things, decomp or whatever. and But in those debriefs, you can see the scars that that makes right yeah so regardless if we joke it off or not and we do it, it definitely makes scars so be there to support your people and pay attention to that i think that's important as a supervisor and hopefully your department has some is plugged in somewhere where they can do some critical incident debriefs because that's that's necessary and it's it's important for the longevity of your people in those units too yeah so that's I a, agree. that's a suggestion i would definitely make
2: i know that's kind of off topic of this today but the The last debrief we had on one of our last homicides, that was the first one that I went to for that. And I'm definitely that type of person that's like, I don't, I don't want to talk about my feelings. Like I'm just going to shove them down. Yeah. I'm just going to shove them down and I'll be fine. I don't want to talk about it in a group of people, but I actually did enjoy the debrief. So, and, and I was surprised by that as well, because we do that in law enforcement and forensics. We crack a lot of jokes. We have a hard shell. We know we're out there. We have to do our job. And there was there was a lot of soft things shared in there. So but it was, uh, it was good. So I would definitely recommend that as well. I think that's very helpful for for your people for sure. So all right, well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. If you'd like to reach out to Captain Ryan Berry with any of your questions or any suggestions from him, his email will be on the screen. We really hope that you guys enjoy the rest of the Forensic Supervisor Summit and we will see you soon. Bye.
0: Thank you.
1: All right. We hope you enjoyed this bonus episode of the Forensics Unfiltered podcast. Just a reminder, if you want instant access to this guest interview and over 30 more presentations like it, get the all-access pass at gapscience.teachable.com. The link is waiting for you in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here and listening to Forensics Unfiltered. If you like this episode, would you do us a favor and leave a review letting us know specifically what you liked about this topic? It will only take a minute, but it will really help us plan future episodes so we can bring you more topics that you want to listen to. We'll be sure to provide any links from today's episode in our show notes on our website. Head to www.gapscience.com. Until next time, stay safe out there.